You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry. You're very welcome to Stand Out with me, Ian O'Connell, here on Radio Kerry. I hope I find you well on this Wednesday evening. I'm delighted to say that my guest this week on Stand Out is Canadian para-athlete Maddie Wilson-Walker. At the age of three, Maddie developed a rare form of meningitis, resulting in her having to amputate both of her legs from the knee down, along with other side effects. Maddie is now in a relationship with my first guest I had on my show, Killarney high jumper Jordan Lee. Sit back and enjoy the show. Thanks a million now for coming in. Yeah, no Really problem. appreciate it. I suppose for the listeners, a lot of people, I suppose know Jordan and they've seen that you've been over and back at Ireland now with a while and stuff and you were training here for a while in um down in Killarney in, with Jordan. I suppose, how's Killarney since you've came back? How are they, how are they treating you? Oh, they treat me like I'm just another teammate. They're amazing. We have like a really good group of um, athletes and it, it feels like another family almost because we're all so close. Uh, so it's been really nice to be back and see everyone and be on that grind and stuff with everyone too. So That's the right job. Thank God they're, they're treating you like it's a second home and it's good, you know, that you feel that the same way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for some of the listeners that haven't heard your story, do you want to give me a, a quick background of growing up and stuff I know from other interviews I've seen that your grandparents were a big part in your life yeah so um growing up I had a very normal childhood up until I was three years old I contracted meningococcal disease which is also known as meningitis and I also had septicemia and gangrene so I was in the hospital gosh I think for about five or six months um from that and the doctor's gave me only a less than 2% chance of living from it Um, because once you get meningitis it acts very fast and it'll take over the rest of your body very fast. Kind of spreads does it? Yeah it spreads yeah and so they gave me that percentage to live. Um, Obviously I'm alive and well today so I'm I'm fine now Uh, but then I had to have both of my legs amputated below the knee and also four of my fingers on my left hand are amputated and from all the medication that I was on when I was in the hospital I went completely deaf in my left ear really yeah so um I had like a bit of period of healing and then I got fitted with my first prosthetic legs when I was about four or five uh, and then from there I started figure skating because when you're Canadian you kind of need to do figure skating or hockey <laughs> one or the other um, and then I started horseback riding when I was around six I did swimming dabbled a little bit in golf and then I got involved in track and field when I was in high school I just kind of wanted to find my place in my school and find something that could be my thing because with my sports outside of school I wasn't horrible at them but I wasn't great either I was just kind of average and there's nothing wrong with that but I wanted to find something that I could be more than average at and that ended up being track and field for me Um, and I started to get pretty good up in the para um, Paralympic rankings when I was in my last year of high school so I made it my goal that I really wanted to make Team Canada that year and I didn't really know how much of a chance I would have because I was only 17 at the time. That's very young. Oh, you were young? Yeah, I was very young, yeah. And I hadn't been in the sport for that long at that high of competitive level. 
um, but I did make the team. So I went to the 2015 World Championships and they were in Doha, Qatar that year. And I did the 100, 200, and 400 when I was there. I had a lot of events. Not just one. No, no, I had the three. Um, and then after that, uh, I battled back and forth for a few years with um, a bunch of injuries and dealing with some mental health problems and stuff like that. Uh, so I wasn't doing very well in track and field. And it became something that I really resented. Two, I wasn't enjoying it at all, didn't really like it, but I also kind of had that little voice in the back of my head that was telling me not to give up, not quite yet, I still had something left in the tank. Um, so then around the end of 2018, I started to get more consistent in my training and my competitions and doing better in my competitions. So then when the 2019 season came around, I made the Para Pan Am Games team, that was in Lima, Peru. And I was fourth in the 100 meters there and second in the long jump. And then I made the 2019 World Championships team and I competed in the 100 and long jump there. And that's also where I met Jordan, was at that World Championships competition. And then um, I fell short of making the team for Tokyo uh, this last year for the Paralympic Games, but... Paris is only two years away. But yeah, exactly. That's so, the goal. Yeah, and I've been doing really, really well in training, and I've been hitting lots of personal bests in training recently, so I'm in really good shape, so I'm really excited to kind of see how this season goes, and then obviously Paris would be the main goal, and then just make as many teams until I decide to retire. <laughs> that was the... I suppose, like you said, for a time you were kind of struggling with the track and field and then mm. once you started hitting personal bests, did that kind of, was that kind of the, the decider for you? You knew that's what you wanted to do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, um, like I said, I wasn't doing well in practice and I, I would have like a mental breakdown every single day at practice or when I was at a competition, if I saw numbers getting slower or I wasn't jumping as far, I would take it really, really personal and take it really to heart. And I was very hard on myself. I still am, um, but not quite as bad as I used to be. I think be. Jordan is the same as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I, uh, oh yeah, when I got injured, um, I had never before that in my other sports, I had never really had to sit out before. I never had to take time off unless it was like a scheduled time off break um so when I got injured serious for the first time it was really hard to sit and watch my teammates yeah. train and achieve their goals and I was just sitting there and I couldn't do anything and I couldn't even cross train um so then because I was out for so long my first injury was a dislocated knee I fell warming up for a track meet it was just like a freak accident it happened so fast I just couldn't catch myself when I tripped and dislocated it and I was out for a few months with that um and then I started training again after I was healed and then shortly after I think I was only training for about a week and then I tore my hip flexor like really, really bad so it was one thing after Very the other unlucky. and it just it really took a toll because I was so used to being go 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 and suddenly like I wasn't even leaving the house because I couldn't because I was in so much pain and so that's what made it I think the hardest but then once the numbers started to go like my races the time started to get down again they started to get faster um, and then I believe 
it was the summer season of 2019, just before I made the Para Pan Am Games. I actually, at the time, I had broken the world record for my category in long jump. It's since been broken then by an amazing athlete from uh, the Netherlands. But at the time, I had broken the record. So that's kind of when I had this realization like, oh, maybe I'm not as bad as I think. And maybe I am meant to do this and I can do this. So, yeah, that was kind of like the time where I realized, okay, yeah, this is what I'm meant to do. And I think that's the thing about... um, anything in sport and especially like track and field that you can break a record and the next day somebody can break it again mm-hmm. yeah and yeah I it's very that's competitive yeah. competitive competitiveness of it um when you were going through um when you were young at that age and when you did um get meningitis and stuff was this did it take a toll on the rest of your on your i suppose friends and family mm. it must have been hard for them as well yeah, so like I was only three, and I I don't really have any memory yeah, of it, which I young. think is a good thing because I feel like if I was, it could be quite triggering or yeah. kind of like PTSD almost, you know. Um, but yeah, it was very hard on my family because when I first got hospitalized, I was put into an induced coma, so really? I wasn't conscious. Like I couldn't speak, I couldn't make any contact with my family. Um, and if they wanted to come visit me, they had to be in like literal hazmat suits to come into my room because I was so contagious when I first got hospitalized from it. Um, and then obviously at the time I didn't know, but they knew that percentage. And so they knew, okay, you know, we're probably going to have to plan a funeral and yeah. stuff like that. So I'm sure that it's take, it took a, a mental toll on them absolutely um and my mom had me at a very young age actually she was 16 when she had me really so she was not that old when this happened to me so she was also a young mom so that was also a lot for her to go through as yeah. well yeah that was another another thing on top of everything going on mm-hmm. like you were saying there that the kind of other side effects to having it like you were saying in one ear that you're you're deaf and stuff and I think that some a topic now is that not all disabilities are um, visible. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of disabilities that you can't see. Mm-hmm. What's your opinion on that? Because I think that's a, a topic that's coming up more and more. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you go to a Paralympic track event, it goes on for days and days because there's so many different categories. And some of those categories, they could like anyone that doesn't have a disability could look at them and be like oh well they look normal yeah and it's like well they are normal they just have a disability um and i think sometimes people can downplay it especially someone like myself and jordan we deal with our disabilities very well but other people wouldn't but they might be um they might be good at hiding that so you really don't know what it's like to have one or to like go through certain things like that um so i think it's important to kind of not judge a book by its cover and to not assume things about it especially if you don't really know anything about it absolutely Um, because a lot of times especially when we're competing like we're one of the top athletes in the world so obviously we're going to look very good at what we're doing so it won't look like we're struggling at all but deep down we do have certain struggles that we're going through that have to do with our disabilities as well so very well put um it was only yesterday actually my friend he's in um 
I think it's Dubrovnik or something on holidays but he was going down the street and he's a wheelchair user and a woman a random woman came up to him and said um what's a handsome man like you doing in a wheelchair yeah and he yeah. just kind of said well I'm handsome two minutes I'll, I'll stand up for you like yeah. it's things like that assumptions isn't it mm-hmm. that that kind of come up and I think I think like you said there people go and they say he's normal but like everyone's normal mm-hmm. but in in their in their own way mm-hmm. do you think that your disability because I certainly do do you think it has made you the person that you are today through your struggles yeah I think I think it has because I've been asked before like if you could go back in time would you want to not have meningitis and yeah. go through that and almost literally die from it and honestly no I mean yeah. I I would not wish it upon anyone obviously but if that had never happened, I probably would have never got involved in track and field, never made Team Canada, met the people I've met, met Jordan, uh, and, you know, have these big goals of going to the Paralympics and stuff. And I think it has shaped me into who I am today because I have this life motto that I actually got tattooed on my arm. It's never say can't. Can't, yeah, I've seen and that I, on Instagram. Yeah, and I, I use that outside of track and field as well, not just with my sport, but with everyday life, in life. or in school even. Um, or I was involved in some music and stuff when I was younger. Um, so it was kind of like a good life motto to live by it with everything, not just my sport. Definitely. Um, I know in Ireland that it it is in Canada now because you're actually my first guest that is outside of Ireland that mm. I'm I'm interviewing what's the process like in in Canada the competitiveness of making team Canada is it um is it very competitive uh yeah it is I mean we do have a, a pretty small team um to begin with but it is starting to become a lot more common and more popular more people are knowing about it now so for me anyways, um, I was only 17 at the time, so I was going to track and field meets that were sanctioned, so they would be IPC sanctioned, which is the International Paralympic Committee. Um, so if you competed at those meets, then your results from those meets would be looked at by Team Canada staff and oh, stuff really? like that. Yeah. And then you would get kind of like an email and you would have to declare if you were interested in making the team and stuff. And for para anyways in Canada, since there's not a lot of us, we can't just go to our national meet and it's like, okay, the top three you're going because I'm the only person in Canada that competes in really? what I do in my category. Yeah. So I would kind of, I guess, qualify for everything by default, which yeah. is not allowed, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, so they look at when you had your last personal best, when your last injury was, how you've been doing in the season, if you've been consistent. And then there's also certain meets that are mandatory. So for us, it would be certain sanctioned meets, and then usually it would be our provincial and national meet. So then once you declare and they look at everything, then Athletics Canada will have a list of athletes that they nominate. And they send that list to the Canadian Paralympic Committee. And then that committee picks um, whatever the team quota is. They'll pick that many athletes that they think would do, we'll well, do, at the, yeah. do well at the meets. Yeah. And then uh, and then you just kind of get an email saying, congratulations, you've made Team Canada. So There is a process behind it, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, it's a long one. 
your international debut was it in 2015 2015 yeah that was my first team yeah. what was that like it was really cool and satisfying oh yeah yeah it was uh kind of one of those moments where i'm like whoa i've i've done it you know i've accomplished my goal at 17 years old and it was very nerve-wracking though because before this like i had only really done high school track and club track meets and stuff and i used to never get nervous like not even a tiny tiny bit and i i thought i was gonna cry when i walked out to the stadium and i remember the pinnacle really isn't it yeah i walked out to the stadium and i just i saw how big it was and i was like oh my god i'm (laughs) terrified right now i've made it (laughs) yeah and i remember my first event was the 200 meter semifinals and I was in the heat one of it, and I had the world record holder at the time beside me in really? my lane. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like here we go. <laughs> but uh, no, it was a really cool experience though. And um, I did okay for my first time. It wasn't the results I was hoping for, um, but I did come sixth place in the 400 meter final that year. So it was it was still a very good experience with the results as well especially for your first mm. your first event um that was obviously a big moment in your in your career so far yes yeah if you had to pick i suppose what would be your most memorable one so far in your whole career what one are you the proudest of probably that first one you know i i think it would be because even though the results weren't exactly what I wanted I'd accomplished my goal at such a young age the results were still even though I wasn't happy with them they were still there you know what I mean and so I think it would be that one and everyone was just so supportive and if I wasn't happy with how I did they'd come over and give me a hug and if I was happy with how I did they'd come over and give me a hug you know um and yeah so I think it would be that first one definitely and that's the one that you'll you'll always remember that the people were there for you no matter how good or if you didn't perform to your best mm-hmm. the people are there and that's all that matters isn't it exactly yeah do you have any um rituals or beliefs that you have that you have to do before you go out on the track yeah so I don't know if I've ever really mentioned this to anyone, to be honest, but whenever I'm putting on my blades, I always put my left one on first. Really? And I don't know, it's just out of habit now, so I just, I always do it. I can't put my right one on first. It just feels weird if I do that. Um, But before, I wouldn't say I have anything that's, like, um, superstitious that I, like, strictly, strictly stick to. But, you know, I always have, like, a good meal the night before, try to get enough sleep, um, I'll wake up in the morning and have, you know, like my workout or warm up playlist. And it's always like hype rap music <laughs> to get me in the mood for competing. Um, I used to have this thing. I don't do it anymore because one time I'm almost choked, but oh, I, uh, I used to chew gum whenever I was warming up. I don't know why I just always did it. But then after that, I was like, no, I can't do that anymore. Um, but yeah, I would say probably just, you know, listen to the same music, have a similar meal the night before. That's pretty much all. They're all to it. So who's your who, what kind of music do you like? Who'd be your favorite? Uh, my favorite rapper at the moment, actually, um, he's Canadian and Jordan showed me him. His name's Dax. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's got some really, really good tunes recently. Yeah. 
Definitely him, I think. Never heard of him now. I'll have to I'll have to to look him up. Definitely. Um like you said there about your, your rituals and stuff, is there is there anything that you do after you perform? Like oh yeah. That was before. Is there anything that you do straight after, say like recovery? Do you have mm-hmm. to have a shake or anything straight after? Yeah. So after after like a training uh, training session, I'll have either like a protein shake or some sort of snack to that way I fuel myself right away. Um, and then obviously I'll have like a proper meal later on when I get home. And kind of the same thing with a meat. I always do that as well. Um, but after a meet, I always make sure to do like a cool down jog. So I'll jog very, very slowly, um, like around the track, like two or three times just to kind of loosen out the legs again. Because even though the competing part of track and field isn't as long as the training sessions, I would say it almost takes more of a toll on your body just yeah. because you're giving like 100 percent max effort. Um, not that you aren't in training, but it's it's different in a yeah. competition, you know. Um, and then after a competition, no matter how how good or how bad I do, I always go out for like a like a cheap meal or like a ice cream or something. So that has to be done because you can have it even if you don't do as well as you want to. You can still have it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, like you were saying there, something that I wanted to ask you when I when I knew um that. I suppose we're not similar, but obviously I don't use my legs. And the fact that you had your some of yours amputated below the knee. Do you ever suffer from phantom pain like your legs are there? I do, yeah. I, um, I don't get it very, very often. And I don't normally get pain, but I will get like the feeling. Yeah. Um, like because I still have some of my nerves that are still on the bottom of my stump. So it's I a can weird actually, feeling, isn't it, it is so weird. Yeah, because I can feel like I'm wiggling my toes, even though I don't have toes. It's crazy. Or if I'm out in town walking around all day, I'll come back to our apartment and take my shoes off and immediately feel better, which is so weird because I'm like, my feet aren't real. So that's a yeah. little, <laughs> that's a little trippy. Um, and yeah, there's been a couple of times where it's been like a bit of pain as well. I'll be like, why does my ankle hurt? when i don't have one but yeah it's it's definitely happens sometimes yeah it's crazy yeah it's crazy how do you um how do you relax on your downtime is there any hobbies you like to do go out aside for a walk in nature or is there Mm. anything that you like to do in your downtime yeah i i really like being outside especially when it's really nice weather um i love going to the beach uh so recently whenever it's nice weather we've been you know going to the lake or going around to the different beaches and stuff especially here they're so beautiful um so i really like doing that um i know the typical like girl like shopping you know and watching netflix and stuff i'm really into watching documentaries and true crime and stuff like that i love true crime yeah so i like watching that type of stuff um and when i was back in canada not so much here but our beaches they're a lot more rocky than the beaches here really there's not a lot of sand and um there's a stuff called sea glass where basically it's just broken pieces of glass but they've been rolling around in the sand and 
the water for years and years to the point where they're smooth and they look almost kind of like gemstones almost and there's beaches around Canada that are known for that so when I was back in Canada I would go like sea glass hunting so I go for walks along the beach and like try to find some and stuff and I'd mix it up with it as well so that used to be a hobby of mine uh, when I was back there but I haven't found any since being here so that's <laughs> yet there's um there's small similarities so between Killarney and Canada from home mm-hmm. would you do you think that's fair I think so yeah uh, I think it's a little warmer in Canada um, during the summertime but obviously the biggest difference would be the weather because we get a ton and ton of snow we were saying that before we went on yeah there. it even was snowing up until I think last week so it's crazy um but yeah I think the biggest similarity would be the people People are very nice in Canada and they're very nice here and everyone's so genuine and welcoming and stuff. So I think that would be what's most similar, yeah. I think I seen on um an interview done with um is it Anna Moynihan from the the advertiser here in Killarney was interviewing you, said you love Killarney, the 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 family owned kind of cafes around the town. Yes, I love coffee, yeah. So going to all those different cafes it's really cool and especially since you're supporting local and stuff too at the same time yeah. so it's really cool that way as well is there is there a massive um difference between the food in canada now and here and like when you're competing and say when you're training in Kerry here in killarney is there different foods that you'd have before training in canada that aren't available here um i would say it's pretty similar food-wise, just most of the food here just tastes better. Really? Yeah, I don't know how to describe it. It, it just tastes no better. I hope there's Canadians listening, so... Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but I would say, um, like, I've had maple syrup, because obviously, Canadians, we love maple syrup. <laughs> and uh, it definitely tastes way better in Canada. Really? Oh, yeah. But, like, that's compared to anywhere, even in... Uh, the U.S. like it's not good. It's it's so much better in Canada, but other than that, I would think the food is a lot better here. Um, there is one thing though. There's a coffee shop back in Canada. It's called Tim Hortons. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, um, but that's also a very big stereotype around Canadians really? that we we love our Timmies, and uh, that's very true though. Um, so I I do miss the convenience of it. The the coffee overall tastes better here but it was just super convenient because it was so quick it was so cheap and it was fairly decent tasting as well but i think that's the only thing i miss food wise from there stereotype in canada so sorry that place it's a big it's big in canada oh yeah there's one on every corner really Mm -hmm. it's kind of um it's kind of like I suppose Centra here, the shops. Oh yeah, There's yeah. There's one on every street you look in 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 Ireland. Yeah, it's a very popular chain. Yeah, so it'd be exactly like that. Yeah. Um, you're you're back in Killarney now, training and stuff. Are you enjoying training here in Killarney? I am. Yeah, I uh, obviously I I love a lot of my teammates that are back in Canada, but here. There doesn't feel like there's any clicks within the group. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everyone trains with everybody. Sure, like we'll warm up together and then we'll go off and do our own workouts depending on what events that we do. But everyone just kind of comes together more and it's not one group against another. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just everyone's together. So I, I like it more that way. How important do you think it is to, to have, I suppose, 
like you said there, you train in groups with friends and then you you go off and do your own thing. Mm-hmm. It's obviously really important to do training by yourself for certain things, but how important is it to have a relationship with other athletes in your in your training session and I suppose being friends with them outside the training session? How how important is that? I, I think it's very important because I mean, for certain things, you might prefer to train by yourself, but there's only so much that you can do by yourself as well. And like, obviously, I'm very self-motivated, but there are times where I can be thinking, I could think of 20 other things I'd rather be doing than this workout. So we can kind of push each other that way. And it's also really inspiring to train with people that have similar goals as you and yeah. people that understand. Because I have friends that aren't in any sports at all and they don't understand that I can't just skip a workout or I can't just not go to a meet or, you know, if I'm eating super healthy or something and I can't go out for ice cream or go out for drinks with them because I have a meet coming up and stuff like that. So it's really nice to have people that can relate to what you're doing and kind of get why you're doing it as well. So, yeah, I think it's good that way. It's good to to have people as well that understand mm-hmm. that you want to reach your goal and you have to kind of block out stuff like going out for drinks and stuff when you're competing in a few weeks time exactly yeah um we'll talk we'll touch on the man himself jordan lee yes um where where i know you said it earlier in the in the interview where did you meet him and what was the the first impression uh yeah so we we met in dubai of all places uh very the other side of the world yes very random (laughs) yeah so i was there with team canada and he obviously was there with team ireland and uh it was the last week or so I think that we were there because we were away for about a month I think and it was the last week and I had seen that para-athletics I think it was para-athletics or Paralympics had posted something about him on their Instagram and so I follow a lot of other para-athletes from around the world because you know it's a, it's a fellow yeah. competitor and stuff and so I followed him and uh, he followed me back and then the one day I saw him at the track and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go sit up there and talk to him. And I did that and then we've been talking ever since and now I've moved over here with him. It's crazy how, <laughs> yeah. how it works, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, when, you are, when you are living, when he was in Ireland and you were living in Canada, he, he obviously didn't see each other for, for a good while. Mm-hmm. How I know these days there's so much... Um, stuff through facetime snapchat instagram and stuff and obviously you can keep in contact through that but how hard was it not seeing him for for that long knowing that he was hundreds of miles away i mean it was very hard but at the same time it wasn't because i mean i obviously missed him a lot every single day and i would wish that i could be over or he'd be over with me um but at the same time, we're both fairly busy individuals. So it was a, a bit easier, I think, than the average person to do long distance just because since we were so busy, it was a lot easier to distract from the fact that we were missing each other so much. Um, and we would do things like on FaceTime, like we would have movie dates and stuff. We would be like, okay, press play in three, two, one. Go. <laughs> so, yeah, so that way we could start at the same time. Uh, we would like play games and stuff or my family did like during like the brink of COVID, they did like the game night on Zoom and stuff. So we would have Jordan come on and join that as well. Um, 
just do things for each other. Like I would maybe send him like something in the mail or something and he would do the exact same. So it was kind of, it was hard time-wise because with COVID, it was very much out of our control when the borders were shut. Um, And just the fear of the unknown of when am I going to see him? Because at one point, like we didn't know when it would be. And it was- So uncertain like, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was a year and seven months that we had gone without seeing each other. Um, but I think because we still had our training and we still were able to communicate over FaceTime and Snapchat and stuff, it made it a lot easier that way. It kind of kept the, the mind off it. Yeah. Um, we've talked over Instagram a, a bit and when I asked you to come on, I was delighted that you, you, you came in. Um, and just by talking to you here now for the last half an hour or so, I can see that your mindset for reaching your goal is is very I suppose you could say you're like Jordan you're kind of stubborn in regards that you want to do the best and yeah the best of your abilities has Jordan motivated you in um in any way since you've met him because you you do have similar mentalities I think definitely yeah yeah we are very similar in that way you know we're both very hard on ourselves when training doesn't go the way we want um but we're also very similar in the advice we give each other when things don't go our way so let's say I had like a a really really bad training day but he had a really good training day I'll try not to bring the mood down and I'll be like oh I'm so proud of you like you did so good and then vice versa he'll be like it's okay like I know you had a hard day but you're gonna get it the next time it was just a tough training day and if this never happened then you would never improve type of thing and same with what I was saying about the the teammates you know if one of us is kind of not really feeling it that day then we will kind of hype each other up and get each other motivated for what we're about to do so and that's that's really important i think jordan was telling me um and i i know myself that you're really humble as well but you had a a billboard in Times square he was saying yes i did i uh back in i think it was 2016 i got contacted by a lady named ann getty she's a famous photographer from australia And I don't know if you've ever seen any of the pictures of, um, it'll be like babies with like animal type costumes kind of on. On Instagram, I've seen a few. Yeah. And I knew kind of of her, but when I got the email, I thought it was like a scam because I'm like, (laughs) who is this photographer? She's like, I want to fly you out to New York. I'm like, oh, it's got to be fake. Right. Um, but no, it was it was real. And so she flew me out to New York City. I stayed right near Times Square. Um, I was there for, I think, three or four days. And I did like some videos and interviews and stuff. And then I did a photo shoot because she was working with GSK, which is um, like a, a foundation that helps um, people that have had meningitis and stuff like that. And she was doing a campaign called Win for Meningitis. So the idea was to have athletes from all around the world that had it and they were going to be photographed with babies that were healthy babies that obviously did not have meningitis but then kind of to promote um like you know this could happen if you get it but if it does that doesn't mean like life's over or whatever it does mean that you can accomplish great things so that's that's really important as well yeah so that's why she wanted to have all like the athletes and stuff so there was a couple track and field athletes i was the canadian advocate for it 
Um, there was, I think there was a person from America that did triathlons, uh, stuff like that. So I think there was about maybe five or six of us and we did the shoot and then, um, she put all of our pictures up on a billboard in Times Square and it was crazy. It was so surreal. Yeah. That's mad. Times Square is known for their, their huge billboards and and lights and stuff. Um, you were saying there was different athletes from all around the world. Mm -hmm. And speaking of that, you've you've um, competed in loads of countries. I have. Yes. Was there any countries that stood out for you that you you think that you you wouldn't have visited if it wasn't for sports? I think. I mean, I've competed all around Canada, all around America, but since America is so close to me, I definitely probably still would have gone there, even yeah. if it wasn't for track and field. Um, but definitely I've been to Dubai twice and I've been to Peru and it was really cool because I'm like you said I don't think I would have ever gone there if I didn't do track and field because I I wouldn't have really thought of going there yeah you know what I mean especially Peru it doesn't seem like the most popular place to go on like a vacation or something so it was really cool especially when we weren't there for um like after competition when we were done competing and we got to go out and actually do some sightseeing and stuff really it was really cool to see like the different um the different cultural yeah. differences and stuff yeah it's amazing um i've been to to new york once but it's somewhere that i want to want to go back yeah it's, it's very very nice unbelievable it's just like a movie isn't it it is yeah it literally is like a walking movie no matter what area you're in you're probably be in the background of some movies yeah, are yeah. being filmed there yeah <laughs> it's crazy um the blades that you use for running mm-hmm. since you started running many years ago have you seen a big um up until now have you seen like a big i suppose development in the type of blades and in other kind of has there been other modern things that help you with the needs for sports yeah, definitely. Um, when I got my first pair of prosthetics before blades, I it was just like this stiff, literal wooden leg, just like a peg leg almost. Um, and, you know, they weren't really that comfortable. I would just wear like a thin sock on my stump. I, my stump would be bit like hitting really hard on the bottom of the prosthetic. But now, now I wear like a, a really comfortable like silicone liner. Um, and it clicks in at the bottom of the leg, so they're hooked on. You can't; they won't fall off. They're hooked on really good, um, and they're quite comfortable. And I can move a lot better. And even recently, actually, I got new um, everyday legs made. Really? Yeah. And I um, normally they were still a little bit stiff because obviously there's not a real ankle joint yeah. or anything. But they put new feet on them, and they're called energy restoring feet, and they move as almost if they have an ankle, kind of. Oh, really? So I, I bend a lot better, yeah. And now, um, with my blades, when I first got them, the blades were super tiny. They were at the bottom of the um, socket instead of at the back, um, like how the big blades look now. So I have the big ones now, and then I also have different legs for weightlifting. So when I do my strength training in the gym, I can actually squat properly because my prosthetics have, again, like the ankles and stuff. And then for people that are above knee amputees, they now have like a bionic knee so they can bend their knees instead of just walking very awkwardly and stiffly. So it's crazy the development that's happened. And I bet you like 
there it's just going to keep happening even more it's too. only going to get better like exactly yeah um what does it mean to you to have and know that young children are looking up to to you seeing that i suppose if they have if they're amputees that they can still grow up and do what they want like like yourself reaching what your goal was um it's it's really cool because that's exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing obviously I love doing track and field I like being the best I like going to competitions but there's a bigger reason behind it than just being the best it's also being able to inspire others because when I was younger I didn't really know anybody that had a disability like me or especially somebody that was in like a high level of sports I didn't really have any like heroes that I looked up to or anything that had disabilities so to be that for somebody else and to see how far track and field has brought me I would also want to help have an impact on someone else for them to experience the same thing just because it's been such a good impact on my life I would want someone else to experience that as well like like you said you didn't have you didn't have somebody to look up to that was similar to you and um mm-hmm. I remember when I interviewed Jordan he said the same thing mm-hmm. and it's um it's great to know that there's younger people looking up the the new track here in Killarney in Killarney, below in the in the same where I went to school Jordan as well like you know what do you make the the new facility the track and the 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 pitch for playing soccer it's amazing. It's a it's a really nice facility and especially with us living so close, it's really nice to have something like that that's so close to us. Um, and Jordan even helped lay the track. Like he did some yeah. of the physical labor to make that track. So that's also really cool to see too. It's amazing though. Like the can you when you go around to different parts of the world, do you know the the actual track itself, the material? Can you tell the difference between different tracks around the world or are they all the exact same i can yeah i would say usually it's the same type of material that's used but some tracks they'll be super soft and if a track is super soft then i know okay it's probably a slower track but then if the track is a little bit of a harder surface not too hard like cement but a harder um kind of mondo surface then i know oh this is a fast track um and i mean growing up when i first started track my high school we didn't have one at all we just had a gravel oval like i didn't even train on a proper track no and it wasn't even the full 400 meters i think it would that have affected your legs would you be would it have an impact on after would you be sore um a little bit but if anything i think it actually helped um with performance because since our training facility wasn't ideal when it came to competing it was kind of almost like a really good shock to the system because if you could get through a hard workout and do decent on a gravel track, who knows what you're going to do on an actual proper track. So I think, if anything, it actually benefited me in a way. That's very true. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, Before you go, I wanted to ask you, what are the best qualities that make a good coach? Because I know so much is down to, to you as the athlete, but... Obviously, the coach has a, a big impact and role to play in your in every athlete's success. What would you say are the good qualities of a good coach? 
I think definitely when it comes to coaching with someone that has a disability is to just treat them like you would treat any other athlete. Um, like I mentioned before, everybody is normal in their own way, you know, even if they do have a disability. Um, I know for me, I didn't like having different workouts or having stuff that was technically easier yeah. just because I had a disability. You know, it's it's almost degrading if you get like Definitely. a special treatment like that. I 100%. like I like the hard workouts. Put me in with the able body athletes. I'll do it. And I could probably do it better than some of them, you know? Yeah. And I think... Yeah, so definitely treating them like any other teammate, but also being aware of some accommodations that they might need. So for me, a lot of them are in the weight room. And I remember my first coach that I had outside of high school, my first weight room session, like I had never lifted before. So I didn't even know what some of the moves were. I didn't know what some of the equipment was. It's very new to it. And I couldn't do a certain exercise and I remember him literally screaming at me in the weight room, getting so mad that I couldn't do an exercise. And he said, I just, I don't understand why you can't do it. I was like, well, I, I've never done it before. I don't have the body part to do the exercise to begin with. So I think it's, even if you're treating them just like any other athlete, you do have to be aware of some of the modifications. Patience as well, yeah, patience, there? exactly, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, for the listeners, where can they get you on social media? What's um, your handle? Uh, so my main form of social media is Instagram. And it's just uh, MaddieWX2. So it's just M-A-D-I-E-W-X2. Very good. Maddie, thanks a million for coming in. And yes, thank you for having me. Best of luck to, to yourself and Jordan in the future. And to Paris 2024. I know that you're going to do amazing. And Thank you. This won't be the last that they'll, the listeners will hear your name because there's definitely bigger things to come. So thanks a million. Thank you so much. Now, unfortunately, that's all we have time for tonight. I hope you all enjoyed the show. Thanks a million for everyone for tuning in again this week and a massive thanks to Maddie for coming in to studio to have an honest and open chat. If you have any suggestions or questions for next week or if you want me to play a request for someone, you can get in contact with me through my Instagram, enoconnell321, or through my email address, ioconnell at radiocarry.ie. I hope you're all having a great week. I'll be back at the same time next week from 8 to 9pm. Until then, stay safe and mind yourself. You're listening to Stand Out with Eno Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry 103.7.